Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Blog Talk Radio, uh, The Catch. And uh, that comes from our website called uh, uh, catchjohnfisher.com. And uh, if you are not getting the catch, uh, you can go to catchjohnfisher.com and uh, sign up, and you'll receive something every morning, five days a week in your email, uh, something fresh that I write uh, each day. And uh, that kind of will get you familiar with us. And then you'll begin to find out that there's a lot of other things that we're doing besides uh, just sending out a, uh, a an article uh, every day. There's a bunch of other things going. And this show is one of those and uh, this is one of my favorite parts of what we do, because I get to get my favorite people um, on the phone and talk to them where you can sit in and listen, because uh, it's, it's, I look at it as an opportunity to expose you to some, some of the, the great people I've had uh, the opportunity to get to know uh, over the years. And uh, this this uh, our guest tonight is is no exception by any means. In fact, I, I was trying to figure out how I might introduce him to you, and for some reason, I thought of I think it's I think it's the um, the the branding that goes along with General Electric. We bring good things to life. I think that's what they say. We bring good things to life. And for some reason, I thought of that about our guest tonight because he does that. I believe he brings good things to life. And that means he brings them to light. He helps us to see. Uh, he helps us to slow down and think and notice. Uh, let me give you a real quick example. Uh, we're going to talk in a few minutes about artists that he has found and recorded over the years. And uh, I was one of those. And uh, there was a time when he brought these art- artists together for a weekend. And um, uh, we were in, uh, I think we were in New Mexico somewhere. And um, in, a, in a beautiful uh, kind of bed breakfast type place. And we spent the weekend. And I have to tell you, th- there was no no agenda for this weekend. And uh, I, I was kind of worried about that because I'd never been to that kind of thing. I've been, all the events I've been are fully planned every hour, every minute. Um, and uh, I, I figured that there was a carrot somewhere. There was some, some deal going to happen 
at the end of this thing. And uh, <laughs> no, no, he just got us all together to spend the weekend. And we played songs, we talked, we prayed, we laughed, we slept, we ate. And, uh, you know, the weekend was over and I thought, wow, you know, why don't, why don't we do more of this? Why, in all the living we do, why aren't there more moments where we just enjoy being alive and we just enjoy each other, you know? And uh, in this case, uh, there, there were a bunch of very, very gifted, talented people. And we were able to enjoy each other's gifts and just one giving to, to the next. So, at any rate, uh, you're not here to hear me. Uh, you're here to hear our guests. But I wanted to give you just a little bit of a, a window in into who he is because um, uh, he brings good things to life. <laughs> Welcome, Steve West, to Blog Talk Radio. Thanks so much, John. It's a pleasure to be with you, always. <laughs> Okay. And to be reminded of that particular weekend as well that we had together. That was a wonderful time together to spend together yeah, that particular weekend. It, it was. It was, and one of those uh, unforgettable experiences. And and you know maybe maybe that is a good question. Maybe that's a good first question. Uh, why why don't we? You know, who was it? It was it T. S. Eliot that says, "Where is the life we have lost in living?" Uh, mm. Someone, I think, and, and I feel like that uh, so often that we get so busy living our life that we don't we don't stop to appreciate it and uh, and, and to enjoy it and to give gifts to each other and uh, you know uh, do, do you feel that, Steve? That's very true. I think we have so little time now for for reflection and just for being you know, with people with no agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like that weekend, for example, we 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 didn't have an agenda really, but uh, there really kind of was an underlying agenda, which was hey, just spend time with each other and get to know each other uh, and talk to each other, write some songs together, and build that sense of community that's what i was after mm-hmm. that week and mm-hmm. i think it was helpful you know one weekend won't do it all but you know it was helpful right. it was a good start yeah so we need that kind of time as people to be able to spend together in a very fast-paced environment uh, that we can be in at times and a very plugged in environment that distracts us in so many ways uh, from yeah. each other and spending time with one another you yeah. told me once that um through some of your writings that you know um uh, it sometimes um it's just uh, a song or something comes from just sitting in one place for a long mm. time and looking oh, at yeah. something, you know, that's I think true. you talked about a song in that way. And so that mm-hmm. kind of stuck with me that that's really yeah. what, that's really yeah. what artists do. Uh, and people, if they can sit still long enough and think about something long enough, will come to a new thought oftentimes uh, by doing yeah. that. So we need more time like that. You're right. That's, that actually is my def- my personal definition of an artist is uh, one who stays a little longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's anything, right. you know, uh, that's so true. 
Thank you for reminding <laughs> reminding me about that. Um, sure. So you you uh, you had Silent Planet Records. Um, you're a lawyer. What led you to be a record company exec? <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. uh, tell us a little bit about about uh, what you liked and what was uh, and maybe didn't like about the record business. <laughs> well, it's a very difficult business and. Mm-hmm. It's one I had from 1995 until 2004, and I didn't go looking to start a record company and didn't know a lot about how to run a record company, which probably became evident over the years. But, <laughs> but you know, I kind of fell into it um, because I was booking artists for my church, and I was really fascinated with uh, a few artists that were a part of um, a label called Storyville Records, which was an imprint of REX Records, which was a Christian heavy metal kind of label, and so Storyville was a singer-songwriter folk music kind of thing that was existing in the contemporary Christian music environment, which is a very strange place for it to be, and so I was just fascinated by that and started inviting some of those artists to come, one of which was Jan Christ. Uh, She was from the Detroit area. Had her to my church, talking with her, and uh, and she just had issues with – with her 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 contracts that she'd entered into and so I just entered into I just said you know is there a way that I can help you and she got it back up with me later and yes there you know, was a way for me to help her ended up finally buying her contract uh, from Storyville and with the idea that well you know I'll buy it then she can pay me back it was a modest cost she can pay me back later or a manager can pay me back and well, that didn't happen, and then we thought, well, okay, well, let's do a demo record, and then the manager can shop at some record labels. And then it was, well, let's do the record, which became Curious, the very first album we released. Uh-huh. And that was as far as I had gone at that point in time and wasn't necessarily planning on going any farther. But from that, I kind of became fascinated by it and the process and thought, well, I really would like a label of musicians that are – singer-songwriters, and a, and a label that's dedicated to music that's about the true, the good, and the beautiful, you know, no matter who's making it, and no matter what the songs are about, as long as they're about what's true, good, and beautiful, you know, sort of the classic virtues, then, you know, it should be able to stand on its own in whatever environment, whether it's to Christians or to non-Christians, and so that's what I went looking for, and I found that in Jan Christ and in her music um, right away. And then there were others that came along later that I thought fit that bill. So that's kind of how I got started. And meantime, was working as a lawyer, uh, hired somebody to work for me, Tony Shore, who did a great job. And, you know, eventually went halftime as a lawyer for several years, about seven years, and uh, then went back to work as a full time lawyer, you know, after the label ended. So it was quite a run with 23. Uh, releases over the years and distribution into the Christian market and the mainstream market. But I can't say that it was a financial success, but it was successful in the sense of a lot of artists were supported. A lot of good music was put out there. And I think it found its audience. It just wasn't a large enough audience to make it financially successful. Well, you know, we did, uh, uh, I, I had the privilege of working with, um, with you and um uh oh who else was it like uh who put that you together? did you worked with david minor david minor yeah, 
But I'm thinking of the wide angle uh, series that we did. Um, oh yeah, Ke- uh, Kevin Allman, a fr- Kevin, uh, good friend yeah. of mine, who's a professor at Montreat College, helped yeah. put together a radio show called Wide Angle Radio that uh, you hosted. Yes, and we were able to bring cool. some of this music on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we called. Uh, I can still hear Kevin's voice. Wide angle radio, the best music you've never heard. Um, <laughs> uh, why? Why did we call it the best music you've never heard? And and why was that such a good label? <laughs> good thing to call it. Yeah. Well, it was Why? great music because, for me, that music, um, that sort, of, that music sort of resonated with, you know, so on a horizontal level, it really connected with, you know, the human condition. You know, no matter who you were, where you were, those songs really connected. I thought I was looking for that kind of a song, but not just to leave it there. I was also looking for songs, or you know, the whole body of work of an artist that also it kind of focused us vertically but kind of pointed to something beyond just the you know the, the human condition to something else folk music is, is great oftentimes at pointing out sort of our humanity and you know the different mm-hmm. problems and issues we have it doesn't always point outside of itself to the spiritual you know to a vertical dimension and so that's what i was looking for in this music and i just found uh that this was this was what it was and and i just i was very uh very intrigued by that, and that's what I thought. And actually, I think that is sort of the definition of good music. You know, uh, it does that in terms of content, and then of course on the other side, it's also technically as excellent as it can be. You know, as, as the abilities and, and gifts of the artist allow mm-hmm. and, and finances allow. So that, that's what I was interested in. Why do you think? And, and so? I think that that and I, think, I think it didn't find. I think it didn't find enough people because. You know, um, I think that there's a lot of um, well, the in music is marketed. There's a fairly narrow band of music uh, in the Christian market, or at least there was at that time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it just couldn't find that audience. Um, and then there's um, it's difficult. It was difficult to get into the mainstream market. Now, you know, Frederick Buechner, who's a, one of my favorite writers, said that his books that he wrote, his novels, it, they were too religious for the mainstream market and they were too uh, worldly you might say for the Mm -hmm. religious market and so he he found an audience but it maybe wasn't as large as you know it could have been if he had been market driven and focused on those markets and you know he wasn't going to do that because he had integrity Um, and so I think it's the same with this you know uh, this music is I mean Christians would hear it and think well what's Christian about that music <laughs> you know yes. and uh, somebody who's not a believer would hear it and think well that's there's something going on there spiritual you know I don't know if I care about that or not mm-hmm. so there is all of that so I think that's why well, I, maybe it's the best music yeah. you never heard yeah and never never um, some of those songs uh, literally killed me and uh, they were so good and so thoughtful and so heart-piercing in many ways. And mm-hmm. I couldn't help but think, if if more people had a chance to hear this, I, I think it would it would be different. That 
But why is that? Why is that so frustrating? That that to me is very frustrating because uh, um, it's it's like the stuff with the most integrity is the stuff that uh, uh, doesn't get heard enough. Right, right. Part of that is the way things are marketed um, and the way that radio is. You know, radio was back then. It was a big deal back then. Um, and it was very difficult to get radio play because of the narrow range of music that they played. And so, you know, we couldn't really break into that. You know, it's different nowadays. I mean, you have the Internet. You have – we had the Internet, but it was sort of early on. But now, you yeah. know, there's – we have an opposite problem. We have – there's so much music out there yeah, that's true. that there's just a lot of noise and it's hard to it's hard to figure out well what to listen to there's so much and so we are dependent upon you know um, gatekeepers mm-hmm. sort of curators of music now to tell us yeah. what's good and so it's but there's so much and that's that's what makes it so difficult as well but i think it's a little bit it's easier now than it was back then because we're not dependent on radio that's and true. can can go, you know, get it out on the internet, you know, for sure. But you know, I wish it had found a larger audience, but it just didn't, you know. But that music is still good and it's still out there. The same kind of artists yeah. are still out well, there making music. We're we're playing a lot of it on our uh, music that matters radio. So um, that's uh, yeah, yeah, and I and I love it. I I love it because it it just holds up so well in the mix that we have. And uh, mm-hmm, and yet mm-hmm. people people are going to go. What was that? You know, and uh, that that's why I like it so much. Um, what what do you know about uh, most of those artists? Are they still are they still going strong? Well, you know, I think all of them still play music, but they're mm-hmm. really not like putting out records. Most of them, you know, with mm-hmm. some exceptions. Um, the ones I thought of that were exceptions were, and you'll know, in Phil Madera, and yeah. Terry Scott Taylor who were fixtures in you know, contemporary mm-hmm. Christian music and go back a long ways. Well, they're still very, very productive uh, musicians. Aaron Sprinkle, yeah. a younger guy, uh-huh. very productive. And um, Jan Christ is still making music uh, herself. So yeah. they're still out there. Others, you know, I don't think are actively, you know, touring, making music, you know, but I'm sure they're playing, you know. How could they not? <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so they're still there. Um, um, so you know, and, and tragically, one of our artists you'll you'll know is Matt Alton. Um, yeah, uh, died, um, and yeah. so um, his life was cut short, uh, tragically. Yeah, but a number yeah. of these artists are out there uh, still making music. Yeah. Um, who um, are you still finding? This kind of music, you know, uh, are you are you find are you discovering more of it? Um, um, yes, in a way, and in a way, I've sort of moved on. I guess um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of involvement in that folk music scene back then, and um, I still do like singer songwriters and gravitate toward them. But then I kind of towards the end of Silent Planet. Um, we had an imprint called the Pop Collective, and so we were interested in what was then called power pop music, 
and so Jeffrey Foskett was the release that we put out. Oh yeah. Um, Stars in the Sand. Jeffrey Foskett. Foskett was the music director for Brian Wilson and his tours, and mm-hmm. that was very much a very hooky, very power pop kind of music, uh, pop you know oriented. And so that was really I was I was wanting something uh, something fresh. You know, I guess I was. Um, my son always mm-hmm. told me that that all your music is melancholy. You know, and I said, "Yeah." I said, "I'm just a sad old man," you know. But uh, but I wanted something that was upbeat, and so I started listening to more of that kind of music. And nowadays, I find it very um, challenging to find music that I really uh, enjoy listening to. Yeah, you know. And sometimes I go back and I listen to some of the the older things that are still that are out there, you know, and revisit those. But yeah, I think it's still out there. There's still singer-songwriters that are out there um, making that kind of music. And uh, mm-hmm. well, Pierce Pettis, for example, is still right. playing music. Had a recent re- release within the last year, a new record release. And is, um, I mean, he's right in the right in the wheelhouse of that kind of music. Uh, that yeah. I think is so wonderful. Yeah, um, definitely one of those. Okay, so now I think. Uh, You've retired from the legal business, is that right, Steve? I have. I'm still a lawyer. Yeah. I still have my law license, but I'm not actively practicing yeah. at this point. Yeah, but but uh, I I know one of the things you're doing is you are writing more, and you're white writing for World Magazine. Um, how did that come about? And actually, tell us a little bit about World. Uh, magazine. Sure, I'm not sure. sure our listeners uh, even know about it. Sure. Well, I always tell people that you know I'm privileged because um, I worked for 34 years for the United States Attorney's Office, which is a litigating arm of the federal government. And the office I worked for was a fantastic place to work, and I loved working there. So it was a, it was my first career and the only one I'd had until now. And now I get to work not as a paid staff member, but as a correspondent. I write for World Magazine. I can't think of a better second place or second career to be in to be able to write. And so, you know, being retired, I'm able to, you know, do it now. Not to have, don't have to have quite as much income to survive. And so, so writing for World has been a great, um, a great gig for me. I've done it for this whole year, uh, mm-hmm. every week. And uh, I write for World Digital, so the digital part of it. I have written for the magazine a couple of times, two or three times, but mostly for the digital part this year. And I'm writing on religious liberty and uh, free speech uh, issues uh, every week for them, which is a different kind of writing for me. And so I've had some wonderful editors that I've had to learn from to be able to do that. Um, you know, because I'm used to writing persuasive briefs, you know, for legal arguments. Oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. I've written a lot of a lot of essays, you know, on I have a blog, outwalking.net, where mm-hmm. I've written more essay kind of writings over the years. But this is different, you know, writing for um journalistic writing is quite different. So I have had a lot to learn in that respect. But you're never too old to learn. And so I've enjoyed that. But anyway, just a little bit about world. Uh you know, world's been around since well, since about the late 80s or early 90s, I can't remember the exact year, but I was a subscriber to the very first issue back then. Wow. And what I liked about World was what I liked about this older magazine called Eternity Magazine, which you may remember. Oh, uh, I remember from, Eternity, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been gone a long time, but 
you know, world says it's um, biblically objective journalism that informs, educates, and inspires. And hmm. so I like that um, that phrase, what they try to do. So they try to – they're upfront about the fact that, you know, hey, part of why our perspective on things is framed by the Bible. Not that we have all the answers or that we always know how all the biblical principles apply to every issue, but you know that informs what we do. And within that framework, we try to be as objective as we can be uh, about the issues that we confront. They probably lean they lean conservative uh, in terms of political, but not in any kind of knee jerk sense. And then there's some issues about which. You know, it's probably conservatives and liberals would not necessarily be happy with them about, like, for example, immigration. They wouldn't come across as some of the conservative um, magazines you might read, uh, nor would they come across as some of the liberal magazines. So, I mean, I think I think they try to walk that line and try to be as objective yeah. as possible within that framework. And I've always liked that. They gave me an opportunity because they think that um, that. Older people can have second careers and can actually come and write for them. You know, a lot of times you get to be an older person, and you know, who who wants you to work for them anymore? Yeah. The world does a mid-career journalism course where they actually invite you know people in, who want second careers or older hmm. to come to this. You spend a week with Marvin and Susan Olasky in their home uh, in Austin, wow. Texas, and you learn you learn sort of um, it's not an easy week. You do a lot of writing. There's a lot of group critique. And when you finish that, uh, you, you'll have an oppor- you might have an opportunity to write for World, which is what I did. I just raised my hand. They said, we need somebody to write about religious liberty issues, and my hand was in the air before I realized what I was doing and what I'd committed to. <laughs> and it's been great, though. And so I've been doing that and, and, uh, and, and written a couple of other things. So it's been a, it's been a pleasure. Uh, to be able to do that, wow. do it every week and be on that deadline, that schedule, that's been that's been quite um, quite interesting to be on a deadline like that, but very helpful for somebody who's come out of another job and is um, retired from that work and needs the discipline of a deadline, and I need that. It's not the only kind of writing I want to do, and I write for them as a correspondent, not as an employee, uh, but I love writing for them. I love working with them. And I love their vision for you know what they're doing. So I'm really pleased to be there. That's great. Um, I want to talk. Uh, I want to get your take on religious liberty a little bit. Uh, we've talked about mm-hmm. that on on our show, and uh, actually we, we've had Oz Guinness uh, a couple times, and I'm very fascinated about his book about the, the global public square. I don't know that you mm-hmm. are familiar with that one, but um, he, that book is all about religious liberty. And yet it's, it's uh, you know, uh, liberty for uh, all, all faiths and none, you know, it's what he talks about. That's right. And, um, That's right. Um, you know, and that was I found that very refreshing after being hearing so much from the the Christian subculture, which is kind of screaming our 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 way. It's our way or the highway. Ours way is the only way. And and, and uh, this whole idea of no oh, wait, if we're going to be in the public square, 
we got to give everybody a chance. And uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, if we want to have a chance and we want people to respect our opportunity to talk about the truth, we, we have to respect them and their opportunity as well. Um, is that what we're talking about when you talk about religious That's exact- liberty? Yeah. That's exactly right, John. I mean, if it's not religious liberty uh, unless it's religious liberty for all. You know, so you know what what I look at these religious liberty cases. The best of these cases are about is preserving um, preserving a place in the public square for religion uh, for religious people, and also because that's an important voice to be heard, and also preserving sort of the 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 institutional autonomy of religious institutions, whether it's the church or a Christian school uh, or a, a Mormon school or a Muslim school, you know, yeah. whatever it is, um, they 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 have they 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 have their own autonomy in a sense that that needs to be preserved, or else they can't be who they are. You know, if they can't preserve that autonomy, I'll give you an example from something I wrote about for World this week, and this is just a very simple example. But you know, most of your listeners and you'll be familiar with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's a historic, you know, Christian group that works you know with athletes in high schools, um, and um, you know they have these huddles or clubs in these high schools, and so what had happened in Bozeman, Montana, was that. Um, this um, club, which had existed on campus there for five years, um, came under – there were some girls in the school who were not members of FCA who went to the school board and basically said FCA's stance on marriage, which is that they believed in biblical marriage between one man and one woman, makes us uncomfortable, and we don't think they should be a recognized student group. And if you're not a recognized student group, then you can't have your announcements read. You can't post your posters without um, a, a label that says basically you're you're not endorsed as a student group. And so it just made them uncomfortable. You know, well, FCA requires their adult leaders to believe these things, but FCA has always been open to any student who wants to come. In fact, they want any student to come. They're very welcoming in that way. Like a lot of Christian groups, but you know, it's it that kind of thing is an you know is really a way of silence silencing, um, not well not safeguarding sort of the institutional integrity of that group, which generally used to not be a problem. You know, whether it was I mean, it could be any kind of group, but the but that group should be able to have leaders that agree with the principles of that group. And so that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Or or it could be, you know, the uh, the uh, wrote an article about um, Brigham Young University and how some scientific associations wouldn't list their job postings because of Brigham's Young Brigham Young's uh, policy that you know basically that you know homosexual practice was um, not something that could occur at the school. You know, um, and so you know, and that he believed in the in the you know traditional marriage between one man and one woman. So those were issues of institutional integrity. You know, um, 
so those institutions can be preserved in that way. And what it does is it preserves diverse voices in society so that you know we can get lots of different um, input uh, in society and not just have not we're not just a homogenous sort of society. Mm-hmm. So I think that so so what I'm saying is religious liberty has to be religious liberty for all, and it has to be not just on an individual level, but it has to be also on an institutional level where you have a diversity of institutions in society. Some of this goes back to a lot of uh, Dutch reform thinking, like people like um, Abraham Kuyper and uh, yeah. uh, Herman Duiveerd and these these folks who talked about you know these different spheres of society like family and, and education that need to have some integrity and, and uh, with non-interference by government you know, um, to, to exist. And it makes for a richer society. It really, Mm. really does. But it's kind of a, um, it's kind of helpful that Christians are not a favored group in society anymore because it helps Mm. them understand, um, better, uh, better. I think it helps them. It helps them not say, well, it's our way or the highway, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 you know, when they're not in the majority and helps them understand better who they are, you know? And so I think this is, I think that's helpful. The other thing that I think is helpful is a lot of our, you know, groupings in society now because of the breakdown of the family and the breakdown of um, community, like the church or synagogue, uh, a lot of the breakdown of religion is that a lot of our um, groups now, you know, identity politics has come about because of the breakdown of those very, foundational kind of elements of society and so it's kind of a new thing in society that you know you get in this identity group whatever it is and then it's usually defined by victimhood that you know we're victims of something you know whether it's abuse or you know we're members of this particular community uh, that are disfavored or whatever you know it's defined by victimhood and then you know they put up the walls and then they lob grenades at others and so there's a lack of civility because of that, rather than saying, hey, here's what we all have in common. And Christians can fall into this too, and particularly if they're not favored. We could say, oh, now we're victims, and we put up walls. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, We mm-hmm. in the church need to have this integrity about our fidelity to the Lord and fidelity to Scripture. So there's some exclusivity there. You know, we're saying these things are true and really not negotiable. But our walls are porous, you know. We're passing mm. through and going out into society, and we're saying, "Hey, you, you can come in. You come in and see, you know. Come and see, you know, like Jesus said, mm-hmm. taste and see what it's about, you know. And, you know, if you want to be a part of what we're doing, there are some things that have to happen, you know. You have to believe in, but you know, because it's not just you can believe whatever you want to believe, but you're welcome to come in here." And we're welcome to go out, and we should go out. And we have a lot in common with people who are not believers, and we need to stress a lot of those things that we have in common. So it's a challenging time to live in. Boy, it is. Yeah, it is because it it my uh, what I keep running into is 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 the the whole us them mentality. And and it's it's so com- combative, and uh, it doesn't need to be that way. Uh, and it's, it's hard to get Christians 
to uh, to stop fighting for their way in the civil marketplace. I mean, it's almost like we we want the world to be the way we believe, and uh, it's not going to be that way. It's uh, yet yet we do want to be free to be able to believe what we believe. But then we've got to let other people believe what they believe too, and uh, it's it's a real challenge, isn't it? It is a real challenge. It, and like I say, it's helpful that we're not we, we we wouldn't we shouldn't want to impose our way. You know, we shouldn't yeah. uh, want to do that. It's helpful to be in the minority now and understand mm-hmm. that hey, that's just not going to happen anyway. And, you know, what it's about now is preserving. Just preserving the integrity of the church and what the church is. You know, we should worry about who are we. You know, right. not who are they, but who are we, and and be, be uh, faithful in what we are. You know, one of the best books that I've read is Rosario Butterfield's the the um, oh, what is it? Um, the Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's a huh. book about hospitality. Wonderful huh. book, and she's somebody that you should talk to, John, on your show. Yeah. Um, but um, she talks about how she and her husband, who her husband's a pastor, and she and her husband in their neighborhood, which is a very diverse neighborhood, invite everybody into their home for Saturday morning for breakfast, no matter who they are. They've got a drug dealer living in the neighborhood, or they did. They've got all kinds of people, mostly non-believers. They invite them in. They have breakfast. They give them, then they give them each a Bible, and they just start talking about the Bible, you know, and have this conversation. But it's a very so their walls are very, like I say, very porous. Mm-hmm. People are mm-hmm. coming in, they're going out. Yes, they understand that they're Christians. They're he's a pastor, but you know, the way she came to know the, know the Lord was that she was a she was a very she was a lesbian. She was a uh, like an English professor, I think, very much into you know. LGBTQ movement. Mm-hmm. She wanted to do an article about the church, I think, or some kind of an article. And so she, this this pastor, invited her to come to dinner at his house, and she met with them for two years and became good uh, friends with him. And the pastor never asked her to come to church, uh, but she became a believer through that process of just getting wow. to know him. And he invited her in, uh, and so she's taken that model, and that's what she's basically preaching in that oh. book. Anyway. Just wanted to mention that it was such a Gospel such a good book. Also, John, I also thought, mm-hmm. yeah, also thought about your book. I just pulled it down a little while ago. What on earth are we doing? A book that you wrote yeah. quite a yeah. long time ago, and you talk in that book about Christian subculture that yeah. encourages us to see ourselves as separate from the world, and you know we are in a sense in terms of beliefs and attitudes, mm-hmm. but not in, mm-hmm. not in the sense of the other things you mentioned like. Uh, how we dress, or you know, uh, mm-hmm. we're very much like the world in many ways, and we can emphasize our commonality, you know. Right, more. right. Um, uh, what was the author of the the gospel comes with the house key? What was her name? Rosario Butterfield. It's a memorable name. Yeah, Rosario Butterfield. Okay, thank you. Well, yeah. Steve, um, our time's up, um, but uh, oh, yeah, we can keep, we can keep going. So uh, that's just that's a good thing. 
<laughs> so, that's right. Uh, that's right. We'll come back again sometime and talk some yeah, more. Yeah, we'll, we'll have you again another time, that's for sure. And um, uh, especially since you uh, since you were doing this uh, this writing for world, I think that's uh, it's going to be interesting to see where these issues are in two or three years from now. So yes, um, it will. Yeah, yeah. So, but thank you so much for being on the show, and um, uh, greetings to your 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 good wife and family and. And uh, uh, thanks for the the moments and the good music over the years. Um, oh, thanks so much, John. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. Okay. All right. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you go, folks. That was Steve Pat. And a uh, wonderful conversation about music, about uh, the world around us, about religious liberty, uh, Fascinating. Join us next week. We'll keep it going. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.